You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. So hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and this week I'm recording interviews live at the Great British Family Business Conference being held in London at the moment. And I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Andrews, who has organised the conference. Um, Firstly, Paul, welcome to the show. Morning, Russ. Um, so some of our audience, most of our audience will probably be aware of the work you do with Family Business United, um, but perhaps you could explain a little bit more about what the conference is about today and what you're hoping businesses will take away. Sure. Um, I set up Family Business United now six years ago really to give family firms of all sizes and sectors a voice. Um, so the conference is really our flagship event, it takes place once a year here in London um, at the Royal Geographical Society and the aim is to give a diverse array of speakers to raise awareness of some of the challenges these businesses face. Fantastic. And how's it been so far for you? We've had a couple of sessions already, which have been brilliant. It's been a really good start. Um, really diverse group. We've had Peter from Peter Billax from the Portuguese Family Business Association giving us a bit of a, a kind of pie in the sky thoughts for the future, where we shall be going, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting and food for thought for, for most people in the room. Yeah. And then brought it back to reality with Richard Clothier, who's the, the MD of third generation farmer down in Somerset mm-hmm. at White Farms. Yes. And their sustainability agenda, how yeah. they've built a great business. 85 million turnover, yeah. exporting all over the world, but actually based in Somerset and actually still really true to their roots. Yeah. And actually what I loved was that still supplying to the, the store his grandmother supplied many, many years ago, well, 300 years ago to be yeah. precise. And the, uh, the thing I took away from that as well is that they're 100% um, green energy. Um, green through and well, through. Which yeah. is just incredible for such a large business with such a heavy manufacturing element to it. To be able to do that is, uh, is fantastic. It's phenomenal. I think they're probably leading the way in terms of British family firms, probably British businesses in mm. terms of what they're doing and taking best practice, but, but really making it real, um, living, eating, breathing what they do yeah. and putting it into a way that's not stuffy, it's not over-governed, it's not over-restrictive, it's letting people do their job, mm. but actually it's enhancing their value and their story and the journey they're on. Yeah, absolutely. And then we've just heard from HMG Paints, who were the um, Supreme Champion in your awards last they won, year? They won the Family Business of the Year Award last year, Supreme Champion. They're based in Manchester. Um, we heard from Rebecca and Jonathan, the fifth generation, um, who have great roles in that business. They've gone in with their eyes wide open. They understand the values of being in a decent, worthwhile organization yeah. and giving back. And, um, and that shows their passion and drive for making that business succeed for generations is there for, for all to see. Absolutely, and I think the, the thing that I learned is they paint pretty much everything. Everything from a space satellite to <laughs> the Hogwarts Express yeah. to the inside of a toothpaste tube. It's amazing, exactly. paints in, in everyday life and everything we see. So, yeah, great. Um, so in terms of our audience finding out a little bit more about, um, obviously it's too late for this year's conference, but yeah. next year there'll be the, the conference again and your wider work with Family Business United where, where should people go? Well, the best place to, to start is going to be the website so familybusinessunited.com which is a free resource for all families um, of all sizes and all advisors that work with them mm-hmm. um, we want to create a community where everyone can learn from each other and collaborate um, which is really the ethos of what we're all about Absolutely. Um, events all over the country the UK we have Scottish Family Business Week National Family Business Day um, various family biz chats on Twitter mm-hmm. and then the road trip takes place we drive for, for six weeks so everywhere from JCB through to 
funeral directors in Leicester down to yeah, cider makers in Somerset. So yeah, Excellent. diverse array, but the website really. And you're very active on Twitter, so people... I love can... Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you, well, you know I love Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Twitter's really important just to get the message out there, to give family businesses a voice mm -hmm. and, and to really encourage people to celebrate their success, share their good news and actually help dispel the myths around family firms. Completely. They're not all small. They make a fantastic contribution. Yeah. And your Twitter handle is? It's just at FamilyBizPaul. Fantastic. Great. Well, looking forward to the rest of the day and great to talk to you. Uh, we'll need to get back and uh, get back into those sessions. No worries. Thanks, Russ. Thanks. Well, I'm delighted now to be joined by Peter Villex, who is the president of the Portuguese Family Business Association and a second-gen family business member of a very successful family business. Uh, and Peter, welcome to the show. And you opened the show this morning with a, a very impressive keynote that um, I think our audience would benefit from uh, hearing a little bit more about. Um, in particular, I want to pick up on the um, comment you made about what makes humans so special. So if you could sort of summarise what, what you um, talked us through at that stage, that'd be fantastic. Well, I'm fascinated by the fact that of all the species that inhabit our planet, Homo sapiens was able to be so incredibly successful. And we have other animals that are also quite intelligent, and but we're different. Now, obviously there is a religious dimension to that. I don't want to go into that. I want to go into two attributes that we as humans have and that will make us so special and in the end have allowed us to be able to produce so much. Mm -hmm. And the first one I've identified is our hand. Mm -hmm. Our thumb and our forefinger are the most precise of all species. Mm -hmm. We can lift hundreds of pounds and at the same time we can assemble a watch. We can use a keyboard. We can do incredible things with these ten fingers yeah. of our hand. So we were able to use these hands and do very, very precise work. The second human attribute that is really unique is speech. Mm -hmm. Now speech allows us to do amazing things. It allows us to teach each other new skills. And when we acquire new skills, we're able to specialize mm -hmm. and develop a unique profession, a carpenter, a mason, a policeman, mm -hmm. a computer programmer. And that led, since we became specialized in what we were doing, we were able to produce lots of units of products and services as a result. The third impact of speech is that it allows us to work as a team. Mm. Because since we have each of us special skills, we can have an organization and we're told, do this, do that. And because of this specialization and this teamwork, our society has become incredibly productive. Absolutely. Fantastic. And your um, talk was about using um, <clears throat> family business as a force for good. Um, so perhaps you could give, again, a bit more context around what you meant by um, that and, and what family businesses can be doing to act as a force for good. Well, first of all, let's talk about businesses in general. Businesses do three amazing things. They create jobs. Mm -hmm. They create wealth. They create prosperity. Second, they're innovative, particularly the most success, successful businesses are very, very innovative. Mm -hmm. And finally, we need to do all of this 
in a very sustainable way because our resources are finite and so we need to be very clever, very innovative in ways in which we create new jobs. And that is our social responsibility, mm -hmm. to leave the world much better yes. than the situation we found it in. Fantastic. Now, that is why I think businesses are a force for good. Mm -hmm. Family businesses are a force for best. Yes. And why is that? Because we have values. Mm -hmm. We're driven by values. It's not about just making money. Mm -hmm. It's about making the world a better place. Yeah. And that's why we are a force for best. Fantastic. Peter, thank you very much indeed for your time. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you, Russell. Thank you. Well, I'm now joined by Jonathan from HMG Paints. Um, Jonathan is a fifth-gen uh, family member. He's just given a um, talk on the kind of culture and um, ethos within HMG Paints. Um, HMG actually won the Supreme Champion Award from the Family Business Awards um, last year. So firstly, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, and th there's a couple of things that I want to pick out of your um, talk, if that's okay, P particularly around, was it 60% of the people within your business also have other family members within the business? That's correct, yes. W which is an incredible statistic and, and a reflection of the kind of culture that you've created within the business. Yeah, we, we like to think so. I mean, what it kind of boils down to is a, a core principle that runs through our business of decent, worthwhile and secure. Mm -hmm. These are the words of my great-grandfather and a business philosophy that he came up with. And what it boils down to is decent in terms of putting your head on the pillow at the, at the end of the night and thinking, you know what, today I've done the right thing. Mm -hmm. Worthwhile in terms of we want to pay our employees the right amount, we want to grow and expand as a business and become a better business over time. And secure in terms of we build our business brick on brick on brick, strong, stable foundations. We don't go for this sort of hockey stick type approach. Um, what we want is a stable business that's going to weather any storm. Mm -hmm. And we've been here for 87 years so yeah. far, so we're doing something right. We have. Yeah, absolutely. And what I was um, surprised about is the sheer volume of things that you paint and coat and are involved in. It's exceptionally diverse um, range of, of products that you're involved in. But, but also, in terms of the kind of loyalty you derive from um, the people who work with you, um, you have a, a rather unique issue with some of your um, employees with, with the requests they've made to you. So you yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, so I touched on it uh, a little bit on the speech. I mean, we have two former employees that asked to be buried on site, mm -hmm. which of course is a great honour. And um, I, I don't know, as something to reflect the culture of our business, I don't think there's any grander example really that you Absolutely. can think of than that. Um, one of our issues at the moment is we have seven employees, some of them who've now retired and some who are still in the business, who've asked for the same thing. Wow. So as I'm sure you can imagine, um, local council regulations and place of burial, it provides some quite interesting challenges. Yeah, absolutely. So n not something many businesses have to uh, have to worry about too much. I, g I guess not, but yeah, we're enormously proud to be mm. asked. I mean, what a lovely reflection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that loyalty and that culture is driven from, you spoke about the work-life balance that you encourage and the fact you actively encourage people to stop during the day to take their breaks. Um, so again, may maybe a bit more detail on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we, we have a, a strange policy in work, which is an almost enforced break policy. Mm -hmm. um, how many times do you look at you know, the current working world and you see people at a desk with one hand on a sandwich, one hand on the laptop, with a sort of fevered brow, looking stressed, middle of their lunchtime? It's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, what we want is people 
people, you know, in the middle of the day, take an hour, do something that's not to do with making paint. So we have a table tennis room with three table tennis, um, table tennis tables. Um, we've got um, three bands on site that you know, jam at lunchtime, yeah. a five-a-side football pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a darts competition, um, you know, that we do on a uh, sort of weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, we, we, we like to encourage, and an on-site gym. Um, so we like to encourage people to take some time in the middle of the day and not think about pay. We think it does you good. Yeah, fantastic. And, and that's just a brief summary of, of your um, presentation, which was um, fantastic. Um, perhaps in, in the future, if you're happy to, to come on and have a uh, go at a full episode, then um, that'd be good. But in the meantime, where can our audience find out a little bit more about you and, uh, and your business? So um, you can find us at um, www.hmgpaint.com. Um, we're all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, on the various different uh, hashtags. Um, and also, if you just type into Google HMG Paint, you're sure to find us. Come on. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Well, I'm now joined by Anthony Gallagher from Easy Grass. Um, firstly, Anthony, thank you for your time and uh, for appearing on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so you are um, the Managing Director of Easy Grass? That's correct, yes. Um, so tell us a bit about you. We, we've been um, looking at grass giraffes and um, soldiers <laughs> and things today. Yeah, so. sure, sure. Well, they're just a few of our accessories. The primary business is uh, the supply and fit of artificial grass. We okay. are a we started off as a London business. Our headquarters are still in London. We're a national player now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have an easy grass experience from Land's End to John O'Groats. Fantastic. Um, our chosen retail partners are the likes of John Lewis. So you'll find us in outdoor living there. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the core business is the supply and fit of the artificial grass, which is everybody's putting on their balconies, their gardens. Uh, it really looks good with a bit of real flora and fauna. We always try to encourage our customers to do that okay. for sure. Um, but you've seen one or two of the accessories that we specialize in today as yes. well, which is uh, quite, quite nice to have them littered around and dotted around. So yeah. there, these are life-size and in some case, giant size uh, grass-covered skull Sculptures. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, they could be anything from a grenadier guard to a giraffe. Yes. So uh, people buy these for the gardens. We ship them all over the world. Fantastic. We have a headquarters, as I said, uh, next to Heathrow um, in sunny Southall. And we have a manufacturing hub down in Chobham. So we make everything bespoke down there. We uh-huh. make our artificial flower walls there, which are called the Easy Wall. Uh-huh. And we make all our animals and we also make grass covered structures. Uh, these are the kind of accessories that an Easy Grass customer likes to add, as well as having their garden done with Easy Grass. Excellent. And you're obviously at the conference today um, to hear from other family businesses and, and uh, understand their experiences. What, what have you taken away from the day so far? I know we're only at lunchtime at the moment. Sure. What, well, what I'm an FBU about? virgin, so okay. it was quite nice. This is my first conference that I've ever been to. It's uh, fascinating speakers. It's definitely worth uh, getting involved with it. Um, Everybody has their own stories and and I've come away with uh, certainly a, a, a more of an in-depth knowledge about how important governance is within mm-hmm. uh, within a business, especially because yeah. I'm a family business, and that's what this whole gathering is about. It's all about family businesses. Some of them are sixth-generation businesses. Yeah. Uh, I've started this business with my younger brother, so we're, the, okay. we're at the coal face, yeah. <laughs> if you like to put it that way, uh, still establishing ourselves and building a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that needs to be absorbed, taken on board, yeah. and 
and talked about uh, with a view to uh, perhaps implementing something yeah. because obviously these are th elements that I think the sooner you get them introduced, uh, laws are always changing all the time and uh, so are the requirements within it. But I think the, more, the sooner you can adopt certain things, uh, the, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, and, and we find it in the, the work we do with family businesses that um, quite often it's left <coughs> until a pain point hits i.e. there's been a conflict, there's been a misunderstanding. Yeah, I mean, it's like having an illness, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, you're, you're stumbling along with it, putting it up with it for, yeah. a few year, for a few years, and then by the time you go to the daughter, you've got something fairly serious where it could have been quite easily resolved. Completely, yeah. 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 Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. And where can our audience find out a bit more about you? Yeah, I mean, visit us at www.easygrass. That's easygrass with an I, so E-A-S-I-G-R-A-S-S dot com. And have a look at our accessories, have a look at our grass ranges. Uh, if you're in John Lewis, uh, have, have a pop in there, uh -huh. go to Outdoor Living and uh, any of the uh, national networks and the partners and the showroom areas that they've got on a local level, you'll find them all on the website. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much. Right, I am now joined by Sean Steele from PwC, who our audience will remember from episode six, if my memory serves me well, um, which was a review of the um, PwC family business survey. Um, Sean, you chaired a session today earlier looking at the need for strategy and the missing middle, which is something we briefly covered in our, our episode. Um, so, so perhaps just a, a couple of minutes on uh, what you spoke about there would be fantastic. Absolutely, thanks Russ. Um, so it's been a fascinating morning. Um, we've heard from a really great range of businesses, um, everything from um, you know, a paint manufacturer that's had to reinvent itself because of a lack of raw materials and a cheese manufacturer that's diversified into um, producing new dairy projects, products and, and, a, and, a, and a range of things in between. Um, bits that for me that have really stuck out during the morning is um, ambition, entrepreneurship, innovation, this kind of desire to export, to grow, to continue to employ um, and to be there for the future. Absolutely, um, yeah. And that legacy piece is something that we know is always really important. Um, I guess what we've also heard is some, some examples of people who've responded quickly, actually. So that piece around making decisions um, quickly, instantly, you know, you can decide today, sit down and off you go. Yeah. What we know is that family businesses are not always as good at the kind of here and now to the long term, so that missing piece. Um, so I was delighted to be joined by Jeffrey Bibby from Bibby Group, um, whose experience is incredible. So um, Bibby have gone from having sailboats delivering fruit and veg, yeah. you know, in the in the 1800s, seeing the invention of steam steamships. They've been through wars, mm -hmm. transported people and cargo. You know, absolutely amazing story, yeah. and in itself iconic. Um, but then when you hear more about um, the journey from the 1970s to now, where they realised that actually being in a family business that was on a 30-year cycle actually is really hard work. Mm -hmm. So although it was niche and, and they have a great brand, actually there was this need for diversification. And so they've built their strategy, their, their medium-term strategy around diversifying to balance um, that cyclical business. And interestingly, the things they've diversified into are really unrelated. Mm. Um, so financial services, you know, they had a dabble with CB radios, but never quite worked, yeah. um, which is a story I love, but um, also into mini supermarkets, you know, so this is a really, really diverse business. Mm. Perhaps the piece that's most um, 
fascinating to observe is their commitment to this strategic thinking. They actually have a strategy director yeah, um, full-time, really, really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and actually, but it's explicitly a role. So it's not just somebody whose job it is to yep. do it when they're not busy. Yep. It's their job. Mm. Um, and, and that they get away for at least a couple of days every year as a board and really bounce stuff around. Yeah. I loved that. Um, the strategy director is also now helping them think about the strategy to engage their next gen. Uh-huh. So that whole piece around the strategy needing to be a family strategy and a business strategy, but they have to dovetail, they have to come together. Yeah. Um, so really incredible insights from Jeffrey, um, And I think some really easy nuggets that people could take away um, and, and you know, into their own boardrooms and their own thinking about um, how they create an environment um, to, to have innovation flourish, but yeah. to be strategic for the medium term. Completely. It's that medium term that's really the important issue, isn't it? Because we can make strategic decisions very short term, as you say. Brother or, or, and, or father and son sat down together going, shall we do this? And let's, mum and dad sat yeah. down saying, shall we do this? And yes, let's go. Um, yeah. But it's the, the medium bit that w- was Completely. sort of focus of your and, and the responsibility of the legacy is huge. Yeah. And the ability to be innovative now is incredible. But that actually, um, you know, a, a, and some of that will be having an environment where you can fail fast. Mm-hmm. So let's try something and fail fast. Some of it will be recognising um, but maybe you don't want to diversify in the core business or that you have diversified too far, but mm-hmm. actually building a strategy around um, how, how this is going to work to get you from A to C, yeah. you know, what's that bit of the middle, yeah, I think completely. is crucial. So yeah. um, I felt that it really brought the, um, the morning together, actually, the, the ambition and enthusiasm in the room. It really kind of showed the way to the, um, to the next step yeah. of success. So Absolutely. really delighted to be here and be involved. Brilliant. And thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. So I'm now joined by uh, Jim Keeling from uh, Corbett Keeling. Uh, Jim is the chairman and CEO. And for our audience, Jim, perhaps you could just let us know a little bit about what it is that you do. What do we do? We um, advise owners of businesses on raising money and selling their businesses. Mm -hmm. Generally, those businesses are making profits of one to 10 million pounds per annum, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps they're valued at 10 to 150 million pounds. Okay. And given the nature of what it is that you do, um, what is it that you find businesses are actually looking for when they come to speak to you? Very good question. Often the, the, the point that is front and center of mind is maximizing the cash, mm-hmm. either the cash proceeds on the sale of the business or the um, amount of cash that is raised for a given stake in the business. Mm-hmm. That's front of centre. As we talk to the owners, two other factors almost always come out. One is achieving certainty that they can get the transaction done. And that's something that starts right at the moment that they come into the room for the first time with us through to often several years after the transaction has been completed and their little ramifications of the transaction still going on. Mm-hmm. The third, uh, which is actually, we saw it in one of the seminars just now, um, uh, uh, the chemistry between the former owners mm-hmm. and the new owners. Are they gonna be the right owner for my baby? Yeah. We call those the three C's, cash, okay. certainty, chemistry, uh-huh. to go with the C of Corbett Keeling. And you yourself are a family business, so you understand um, sort of what uh, our listeners may be going through when they're having these discussions. 
That's right. I certainly do. I own the business 50-50 with my wife. And actually, I've seen the process of of uh, 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 passing on a business or not passing on a business firsthand because my father and grandfather did exactly the same as I do. They actually chose to close the business down having traded very successfully for many, many years. I was a bit young to take it over. So I can see it firsthand, the benefits of taking over your parents' business or of starting your own. And um, I absolutely understand the emotional stresses, both from watching my parents and my, my grandparents, mm-hmm. and also from experiencing it now with my wife yeah. as to um, owning a business and deciding what to do next with it. Fantastic. And where can our audience find out a little bit more about you? I would have thought our website is the best place to okay. go, corbettkeeling.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T-K-E-L-I-N-G, corbettkeeling. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Pleasure. So I'm now joined by Justin Urquhart-Stewart of Seven Investment Management, uh, somebody who I've worked with for uh, a many number of years. And we've just been in a session talking about how we deal with wealth and in particular entitlement. So firstly, Justin, welcome to the show and, and thanks for joining us. Russell, thank you very much. Uh, and secondly, I, I found the session fascinating in, in, obviously it's what I do for a day job, mm. so it's something I'm very interested in. Um, what were your sort of key uh, takeaways from what was really coming out is actually first of all the need for this education that everybody has to have and I know that's something you focus on as well yeah. making sure people really understand not just the value of money but also how they accumulate it how they invest it what the risks are because all too often they're very good at running their businesses and absolutely rubbish at running their finances because yeah. they've been, never been taught about it Completely. the other issue in terms of I think families is actually making sure particularly the, the, the parents having the right structure and confidence and discipline to be able to talk to children about actually are you going to go into the family business or what career are you going to be uh, because parents are very worried about handing over lump sums to children because they're just going to go and blow it yeah. or their daughter's going to run off with the most inappropriate <laughs> individual whatever it happens to be um, and often they'll need a help with that and that's where a professional planner like yourself could be really helpful mm. so a third party can come in and act as the objective uh, person giving that third party view because the best one in the world we can encourage families to talk about finance but we can't even sit down at Christmas for more than three days without trying to throttle each other and the British don't talk about money but you can come in and sit down and say well here's the family plan this is how much money we've all got now what are you actually going to do for this next generation is it you're going to set your own business up in which case the family can help finance that Mm -hmm. or is it uh, another child which is well I'm interested in doing social work or something like that Um, and so therefore you can have that honest discussion absolutely and all too often Britain we don't do that yeah it's still very much a taboo subject Mm. which um, considering I do it as a day job is, is frustrating to a certain degree but it's understandable when um, for, for some people their relationship with money is, is very personal mm. it, it can be if you're a, a first generation in a, in a business and you've built that wealth mm. you don't necessarily want your kids just to come in and just blow have it. access to it and, yep. and blow it um, but, but, but on the subject of entitlement we, we discussed in the session how it's actually the parents responsibility as to how their children are um, uh, feeling entitled mm. to, to their family wealth. Uh, and again, the answer came back to that education piece, didn't it? It did. And it really was a matter of uh, making sure that uh, the parents can educate their children as to what it can achieve for them. But by the way, you're lucky to have this. But bear in mind how it's got there. Yeah. But also understanding everyone, they'll know about the assets and they'll feel the children will feel quite rich because you live in a nice house, they've got this nice car. 
But how much debt is there as well? Mm. And people, they don't look at the debt. They don't yeah. understand that actually this is a debt burdened society. And it's hiding behind the sofa. Exactly. Debt, it? And it's, you know, and it, they're understand, getting them to understand what debt is um, and really putting into context that you may have a lot of money, but a lot of this money could dissipate really very quickly if your grandparents, great grandparents have to spend endless times in, in uh, care homes and yep. things like that. That could be really expensive. Absolutely. And so what are the obligations you have as a family to your greater family? Mm. I think one of the great things, particularly with what you're doing, is, is incorporating the family. So it's not just the individual. It's that broader overall family, almost like a family office, isn't yes. it, across the generations. Yeah. Something that was done, you know, we see it in the continent quite often, certainly in Scotland about 50 years ago, it's relatively common there. Yeah. But now it's not seen. Yeah. Bringing that back will give the one word that people need to have with their finances, confidence. Yes. And if they can give them that confidence, that's worth, frankly, much more than a lot of the money. Yep, completely. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Justin. Great to see you. And, and you, Russell. Uh, catch up soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. I'm speaking with Juliet Johnson now, who is a family business uh, consultant. Uh, so firstly, Juliet, thank you for coming on the show. I know I've just grabbed you in a corridor and said, can we have a, a quick chat? So, um, Anytime. It's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. Um, so you gave a session earlier about what good governance is. So for our audience who probably hear the word governance quite often, how do you summarise what governance is? Because it has many meanings depending on who you're speaking to. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a fair point. And corporate governance is a lot clearer. Everyone is very clear on the Greenbrier report and such uh, like that looks at good corporate governance. But family governance and how the family interacts with the business and the business interacts with the family um, is somewhat a greyer area. Mm. And governance is very much about the relationship between the family and the business and how the two interact over time. The importance of governance isn't something that's necessarily linked to the age of the business. It is something that should be pertinent throughout. Is that right? Absolutely. I think a lot of families don't start thinking about their governance until further down the line. Um, but what was interesting on the stage today was you had, a, as you say, a first, second generation family business and a sixth, seventh generation family business who all um, were experiencing similar sorts of challenges. Mm. Um, the big takeaway for, for me from that was how early that first generation family are at thinking about some of these, these, these aspects and the earlier you start to talk about these things actually the simpler it can become. When you're dealing with governance issues when there are five family members it's a lot easier to reach a consensus and an agreement than when there are 50 family members yeah, in the room. So there are lots of families that I've worked with who are in their fifth and sixth and seventh generation who quite often say to me, gosh, we wish we had done this two generations earlier, and yeah. then maybe we wouldn't have had all the problems that we had. Completely, and that can involve some difficult conversations. We heard about the fact that there are difficult conversations, but the outcome of those are so much more beneficial for the business that, that I guess the message to take away is for, for family businesses not to feel intimidated by the, perhaps the thought of putting governance in place, and to realise that yes, there may be difficult conversations initially, but once it's in place and it's something to, to use as a, a track to run on, it's far more valuable than the awkwardness of the uh, conversations. It is, it is, um, but it evolves. So yeah. what someone puts in place on day one is unlikely to still work in quite the same way as you transition into another generation. So it needs to be reviewed every mm -hmm. three to five years just to check that everything is still working and yeah. that there aren't other issues. 
Um, businesses spend so much money bringing in the very best boards to run their business and make sure that the boards are continually looking at the risks of the future. Mm-hmm. But families on the family side don't spend nearly enough time together talking about the risks of the future from the family's perspective mm-hmm. and actually what can the family put in place to stop those issues ever becoming a problem. So my mantra with all of that is for families to start to solve tomorrow's predictable problems today and the earlier you can open up conversations and talk about these kind of things, the earlier you can put things in place to make sure that these dynamics never become a problem. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for and, listening. And uh, speak to you soon. So there we go. That's the end of the conference. Now I'm just about to head into the closing keynote speech. Um, it's been a really enjoyable day. Got to meet lots of different people who specialise in working with um, family business. Um, I would suggest if you want to find out more to head over to familybusinessunited.com. Um, Paul's obviously very um, proactive in the family business space, so there's lots of great content on his site. Um, I think for me the big takeaways that I've found have been um, around communication and governance and um, although it can be a scary word governance is not necessarily something to be afraid of Um, if you can embrace it and implement it in the right way it can be very positive Um, back to um, full-blown interviews for next week Um, but hopefully tried something different with the show this week hope you've enjoyed it and uh, i'll uh, look forward to talking to you soon That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. Or if you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.